Today we continue our sermon series. In fact, we're bringing it to a close. Uh, This sermon series that we entitled In the Midst. And the title this morning is Miracles in the Midst of Attack. You know, have you ever felt attacked? You know, attacks come in all forms, don't they? Sometimes uh, we as a, a world or a nation can feel attacked from an outside source, maybe a dictator uh, who is, is trying to uh, wreak havoc and maybe even conquer the world. We've seen that before. Or a nation or a world can have a sense of being attacked by COVID-19, this pandemic that we're all in now. And many of us pray for miracles in the midst of this attack. We all hope for a miracle vaccine or, um, or other kinds of treatments that will reduce the danger of this horrific disease. You know, I felt attacked before by, by cancer. And I did receive a miracle that came through prayers and an experimental drug and wonderful nurses and doctors who took care of me and then measures beyond my understanding. I'll have to wait till I get to heaven to find out exactly what happened. And others are attacked by life-threatening illness and the miracle may not have come in the form of a cure. And yet there's a realization of an amazing peace, even in the midst of the turmoil, that is, in fact, miraculous. And sometimes attacks are on our financial, of a financial nature, or regarding employment. And we pray for miracles to come to us, to bring peace to our lives in the midst of the unsettledness. The good news is that miracles await us in the midst of attacks. And the important lesson that we learned from Daniel this morning is how to face those attacks when you're in the midst of the lion's den, so to speak. You know, we pray that God will give us the strength of character Uh, when we face these kinds of attacks. Uh, That's the way we start. That's where Daniel was. Daniel's strength of character and his unbelievable faith, his dependence upon God, was how he went forward. Years ago, Dr. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book that I really did like a lot called Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. And I looked into that book again um, this past week and, and, and want to share with you just a few things that he brought out concerning living above the level of mediocrity. The world needs people, he said, who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will who are larger than their vocation, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, and who will be as honest in small things as they are in great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will not say they do it because everyone else does it, who are true to their friends through good report and evil report in adversity as well as in prosperity, who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities 
for winning success. Who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth, even when it's unpopular. And who can say no with emphasis, although the rest of the world seems to be saying yes. Daniel had this kind of character that Swindoll was talking about. When we think of Daniel, there are many wonderful stories. We've shared some of those the last three weeks, and today we share perhaps the one that is best known, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. You know, it seems that every time we read about Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel, they're going from the frying pan to the lion's den. Somebody is always trying to either um, heat them up or, or eat them up. And it's sad to say, but many Christians never have to worry about either the fiery furnace or the lion's den. And not because fiery furnaces and lion's dens are not around, but because of what you have to do to get in one or the other. One way to be thrown into a fiery furnace is to stand up while the whole world is bowing down. That'll get you thrown into the furnace. And the way to be thrown into a lion's den is to bow down when the whole world is standing up. Most Christians today go along to get along, but not Daniel. Pastor James Merritt once said, We need more men and women today with a fiery furnace faith and a lion's lair love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that quote. You know, the plot thickens in the book of Daniel, that, um, and Donna read that story to us in part, but it thickens when we realize that this 90-year-old Daniel, uh, who is a politician in essence in a land that is not his home, the matters become more political and the heat gets turned up. King Darius was appointed, had appointed Daniel to one of only three men to be made governors over the entire kingdom. And the king was about to make Daniel the prime minister over all of the government when jealousy raised its ugly head. Daniel, though 90 years old, not only had seniority, but he had superiority. He was old on the outside, but he was young on the inside. His outward man was perishing, but his inward person was being renewed day by day. They also found that Daniel was faithful in all of his assignments. He was also found that, it was also found that Daniel was faultless in all of his actions. Now, it wasn't that Daniel was perfect. We know he wasn't perfect, but we do know he was blameless. His heart was coated with integrity. His lips flowed with honesty. His life was marked by fidelity. And to put it simply, he practiced what he preached. You see, Daniel was one politician who believed your private life really does matter. 
Because what a person is in private is what a person really is. If you can't trust a person in private, you can't trust a person publicly. If you can't trust him personally, you can't trust him politically. And and Daniel was the epitome of one who can be trusted. And King Darius recognized that, as did other kings before him who uplifted Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to high levels of government and power. Daniel was a man of integrity in a shady world, a man of purity in a soiled world, and a man of stability in a shaky world. You know, since uh, these um, men who were trying to get at Daniel, these persons who were so jealous of him, they couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel's character, so they came up with a plan B. And the only way to condemn a moral, godly man is to pass an immoral, ungodly law. And that's exactly what they did. They went to King Darius and they tricked him into passing a law that no one could pray to any god except for the king. In other words, they elevated the king and his ego to that place of being worshipped. And here's how they did it. First of all, They used deceptive falsehood. We read, So these governors and satraps, they thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps and the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, except you, king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The rule in Babylon was known as rex lex, which means the king is law. But in Persia, the rule was lex rex, which means the law is king. So once a law was passed, it could not be revoked. So now a law had become a trap that Darius had unknowingly set and had also baited with his own pride. And these men now knew that Daniel's doom was a done deal. Even though Darius loved Daniel, respected Daniel, trusted Daniel, he'd made a decree. And one that he had to follow. What would Daniel do? Which reminds us once again that just because something is legal doesn't make it moral. Right? And Daniel knew he was signing his own death warrant. But he went ahead and prayed as was his custom since his early days. And Daniel's prayer was Not rooted in panic, it was rooted in pattern. You see, this was not an act of defiance as much as it was an act of discipline for Daniel. He prayed, he prayed to the living God. And for Daniel, prayer was, it was a holy habit. 
It was as natural for Daniel to pray three times a day as it was for him to eat three times a day. Daniel would defy the law before he would deny his God. That was clear. And now somebody says, but you are to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, yes? And you are to render to God that which is God's. And we need to be reminded that everything is God's. And that we need to seek God's answer for what is different. You are to render to God everything, but you are to render to Caesar only what God tells you to do or allows you to do. There is a limit to the authority of the government, but there is no limit to the authority of God. Now, I dare say, we need to remember that in this political season. As Christians, as people of the Judeo-Christian faith, we are to render to God everything. But we are to render to Caesar only that which God tells us to do or allows us to do. There is a limit to the authority of government, but there is no limit to the authority of God. Daniel believed in God and therefore Daniel believed in prayer because he believed in both. He would not give up on either one. And now it would have been so convenient for him to compromise. Daniel could have said, well, I'll just pray in secret. Nobody will know. He could have said, well, I'll just pray silently. No one will hear. He could have said, well, I've been a, a, I'll just obey the ones who are in authority and God will understand. He could have said, I haven't missed praying for nearly nine decades. Surely I can take a little time off or change directions. But Daniel had decided that he would rather die for a conviction than to live for an ungodly compromise. Thank God that Daniel was a politician who not only believed that character was important, but that convictions are more important than being popular or even winning the prime ministership in his case. There's an old saying that goes like this. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. Now, some people may question that, but when wealth is lost, really nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, everything is lost. Daniel's mind was made up. He might lose his job. He might lose his family. He might lose even his life. But he would not compromise his conviction and lose his character. Keep in mind that Daniel's only crime was praying. Praying to his God, not praying to a king. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. That was easy to do. They knew when he did it and how often. 
And they went before the king and they spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except for you, king, shall be cast into the lion's den? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and they said before him, That Daniel, who is one of the captives of Judah, and you see how they're trying to make Daniel not one of them, but an, an alien. Without due regard to you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, he makes petition three times a day to his God. You know, it takes courage to walk into the lion's den, doesn't it? And you notice that Daniel had quite a bit of courage. Evidently, he never said a word. He, he didn't say anything to the king because he didn't have to. He had been talking to the king of kings, and no other king really mattered. And someone has defined courage as fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And Daniel had courage because he had a life of prayer. He recognized the importance of being with his God and conversing and doing what he believed God instructed him to do. Maybe Daniel remembered Proverbs, the third chapter, 25th and 26th verse. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Caught in a trap, no less. You know, one thing I know is that Daniel didn't go limping into the lion's den with fear. He went leaping into the lion's den with faith. And now let me state this obviously. God did not save Daniel from the lion's den. He saved Daniel in the lion's den. And he brought him through the lion's den. Don't think it's strange if you're thrown into a lion's den by whatever measures. But friends, in these days, you ought to think it's strange if you're not in a lion's den from time to time. Martin Niemöller was a great German pastor and theologian who stood up to the Nazis in his home of Germany and he stood up for the Jewish people there. And oddly he didn't lose his life even in the midst of that lion's den. They threw him into prison and he was sitting in his jail cell and, and a prison chaplain came to visit him and sat down and said, Brother Martin, why are you in this jail, jail cell? To which Martin Niemöller replied, Brother, why are you not in this jail cell? A good question from a man who wrote a poem that was quite striking. He said, first they came for the communist, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. 
Then they came for the socialist, but I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, but I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. There's hardly a person anywhere who ever heard Daniel and the lion's den who doesn't know the conclusion of the story. The king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. He was grieving the fact that he, by that decree, had to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And while the king was worrying and his enemies were partying, Daniel was sleeping the whole night through with his new friend, the lions. And when the first ray of sunlight came through the king's window, the king ran to the den of the lions and he rolled away the stone and he looked in and there was Daniel just reading between the lions. I had to do that. And then when Daniel saw the king, he said, I'm alive and I'm not lying. I had to do that. There's only one reason that Daniel was not harmed, and I have to do this. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God, his God who would deliver him. In the best way possible, because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. God was his source. God was his safety. God was his security. And Daniel was vindicated and elevated by the king. Then the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of the lions with their families. And the lions overpowered them and killed them all. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, Men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and the steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. And he works signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? It was his living God. And friends, our living God, your living God, my living God, whom we know by name as Jesus Christ and in spirit that is holy, will deliver us too from the lion's den. For God is our source. God is our safety. God is our security.
We don't need to be looking for lion's dens, friends. But we don't need to be running from them either. This last word. It's important for us to name the lion's dens that we are in. And then enter the lion's den in prayer and in the courage of the Lord's presence. The Lord with us. And do not glory in the lion's den or say, woe is me. Rather glory in the Lord who is right there with you. And witness to the power to stand as God sends angels, messengers, to shut the mouths of the lions. Amen.